0: Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back. And to step into your own greatness. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My guest today is Brian Felchuk. He's the best selling author of the book Do A Day, which came out exactly one year ago today. So, congratulations, Brian. This is awesome. I'm so excited to celebrate this with you.
1: Yeah, thank you. And totally unplanned. I didn't even realize it was the anniversary, but yeah, big day.
0: Everything happens for a reason. Totally. So let's start with your book. What's it about?
1: Um, So my book is basically, it's three different things. The first is a little bit of my story, and I use that to teach this philosophy that is do a day. The second piece is sort of like the hands-on here's the nitty-gritty of exactly what it is and here's what you need to put it in place and then the last part is a bit more practical with some specific situations where a lot of people have come to me for help and I just sort of spell out like here's how you'd actually go about doing it in those situations Um, but I still haven't really told you what the book's about which is this idea do a day it's basically a way that I live my life. It's sort of an execution strategy for every day and achieving what we really wish to achieve in our lives. um, without, without these two burdens that we face, and this is where the, the word day comes in. It's like most people spend their lives caught between yesterday and tomorrow. And yesterday is all this pain. It's this, um, judgment, you know, it's, it's what we experienced before that we're upset about, or we were hurt by it's what we screwed up at. And we hold all that regret. Um, Or a sense of failure or maybe it's something we've lost that we long for and we carry the pain from all those things into today And, And we make a lot of decisions from that place of pain, which isn't really a great recipe for making good successful decisions But then we also have tomorrow and and this was my big thing Personally is all the anxiety of all the things that I was so certain are yet to happen and smack me in the face And, you know, if I don't just like do all these things that I think I have to do immediately and everyone get out of my way, then the world's going to fall apart and, you know, it's all going to be over. And you live your life with that level of anxiety about what you think is going to happen. You don't know what's really going to happen. And if you act that way, you may bring it about because you're making some pretty bad choices just because of, you know, you're making them from this place of insecurity. So do a day is essentially like let go of the past and all the pain from it. And don't live today with all the anxiety and anticipation of tomorrow. It's every day is, it's just today. It's never yesterday. It's never tomorrow. So do that first word as a verb for a reason, do what you have to do in pursuit of your goals every single day. And it will add up to a life of success where you'll achieve things that, you know, I always say like the things that I've done since turning my life around weren't even on the list for me to scratch off as like, Oh no, that's too impossible. Like, there's so many things that like they wouldn't even have been in the realm of contemplation to begin with. And um, that freedom to just go after better every day. It's, it's such a beautiful way to live. And I had to share it with other people.
0: I love this. And my personal intention for 2018 is to be on purpose.
1: I like that. Be on purpose.
0: Yep. So it means be intentional. Yeah. Be present. Be right here right now and know why I'm doing everything and only do what gets me towards my goals.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I really, really like that. I'm sitting here hearing you say that you do a lot of road cycling.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And one of the reasons why I, I love road cycling and I love running, I would probably pick running if I had something meaty on my mind because if I went into a cycling situation with that on my mind, I might wreck.
0: Because yes.
1: cycling is such a great example of why you have to do a day. If you have all the, the negativity and the pain that you're thinking through from yesterday or all the anxiety of tomorrow, you stop being present and you miss the potholes, you miss the turns, you miss the wet spots, you miss regulating your speed or your lean or whatever it is, it's so dangerous. And it's like, what, what a good metaphor for why it matters in life.
0: Yeah, I, I've actually been thinking about that. I've been riding with people more than I used to. And there is no room when you're just like staring at the wheel in front of you. There is no room to be thinking about totally. anything else. There's yeah. like very little room to even be like, how long have we been going? What are my Watts right now? Mm-mm. There's a, that's a quick glance. Yeah. But it is focus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Practice.
1: Yeah. All this noise around you is, is just going to take you down and cycling is just like, it brings it to a forefront because you literally will go down.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so back to your philosophy. So I also want to commend you for having such a clear philosophy. One of the questions that I'm always tempted to ask my guests is, what's your mission? Mm. And a lot of times I stop myself from asking that question because I know it can be a little like, oh, I don't know, that's a huge question. And right on the spot, I'm not really sure about it. But yeah. it sounds like you're really clear on what your mission is.
1: Yeah, so... I have a personal mission for me, mm-hmm. and then I have a mission for the work that I do around my book and I, and I do coaching work and public speaking and all that kind of stuff with it. when I'm in that mode, um, my mission is to help people change their lives and I've been saying that since two thousand and eleven like I always say like people don't change lives do so it's like you're always you, and that's a good thing you know for all your flaws and and good stuff and whatever like there's nothing wrong with you it's a question of the life that you're creating for yourself so Come from a place of self-love and accept, you know, all the good and the bad and the foibles and the capabilities and all that. That's awesome. Be you and create a a better life around that. So, you know, the little hand that I get to have in helping people change their own life, I don't change lives, period. And I've heard people like, I'm a life changer. You change your own life. Good for you. But I don't have the power to change anybody else's life. And if you think I do, we got some work to do because what happens when I'm gone? You know, Like seek, seek the solution within yourself. That is the most empowering way to live your life on a daily basis and actually achieve. So that's like outside of, of like me personally, that's my mission is to help people change their lives. Mm. And internally it's kind of the same thing, but I'm people and I want to help myself. So it's about like every day I want to feel like I contributed to better with a capital B. Like I want to know that in whatever way that I did it today and I'm not passing any judgment on it, I moved myself forward and it's that sum total of it, you know, every footstep forward that adds up to like, you look back and like, wow, how did I ever get, like, I was a C English student in high school. How did I write a book and how did anyone read it and understand my horrible writing that I supposedly thought I had to be able to be like, wow, this really helped me. So clearly I'm not as terrible as I thought I was.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: You know, the the sum total of all those words that I wrote, like, it got me somewhere. And every day I progressed. So that's, like, that's my personal mission is I just want to feel like today was forward towards, you know, that that better.
0: I, this resonates, both of those missions resonate so strongly with me, my personal mission, um, and your mission for the world. I phrase it as I want to empower other people to right. be their best selves, which is much like you're saying, like, I don't want to fix them because humans aren't broken Yeah. and I'm not going to do it for them, but I will stand here. I will hold their hands as they make the leap, as they do the deep work, as they're, you know, brought to their knees, figuring out who they are yeah. and why they're here.
1: Yeah. I, I love when you say humans aren't broken. Right. Um, I'm guilty of using that phrase before. And, uh, I'm working on my second book and I was talking to someone who's been sort of a, a reference point for me around Buddhism and the, the philosophy behind Buddhism is a big piece of the next book. And so I've made this comment about, you know, they're, you know, this person's very broken. They've had a lot of pain in their past and she stopped me. She's like, nobody's broken. Nobody needs fixing. They may be confused. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. Cause saying that someone's broken is so much more um, finite and it's there, there's not fine. It's like finality to it is there's something eternally wrong with them. And the best you can do is try to tape it back together. And that's not really aligned with them having opportunity and capability, or even just respecting their values. So I like, yeah. I try not to use that phrase anymore because it it's not, it's not the right way to categorize it. And it robs people of that capability, that ultimate achievement.
0: I, yeah, we, we can't break But we forget, as humans, we forget that we're whole. We forget that we're awesome. We forget that we are capable of anything. Yeah. We're very forgetful beings.
1: Yeah. Well, it's part of that, like my whole point on tomorrow is like, you know, if you're like, oh my God, all these things are going wrong and the world's gonna end, really? Because that's not the first time you felt that way and somehow you're still alive and this big ball is still spinning. Yeah. Or the flat thing is that the sun is revolving around, if you want to look at it that way. But either way, like everything's still here. So clearly, it's not as bad as you think it is. And you're way more capable than you're giving yourself credit for because you're still standing. And every time you have these moments where you swear it's not going to be, you know, this is going to be the time where you fall, somehow you didn't. So start yeah. to remember that maybe and bring that into the present moment.
0: So another thing you said is when you were talking about like do a day, be present. It sounds like you took yourself from a life of fear, like fear of the future, fear in a sense of replaying your past, like letting your past come and kind of be the boogeyman for you. And talking to you now, it certainly sounds like you're living from a life of love.
1: Yeah, I'm certainly trying to. Um, Nobody's perfect, you know, like it's, it's in and that's fine. Like, I I like that. It's an everyday it's an everyday thing that you can work on. But, um, yeah, I, t- I try to do my backstory super quick, but, um, like what half the country, my parents got divorced when I was a kid. So, you know, so many of us experience that. Um, I was pretty young. I was like five when it all was going down and I was this happy, smiley, skinny kid. And then you look at a picture of me from like six, six and a half. And I was just straight up obese and not very smiley. Um, cause like kids have this basic need for everything to be okay. And especially at that age, there's nothing you can do to make things okay. So when you see like your parents coming apart and fighting and you're moving out of the house that you were, you know, the only place you've ever known, um, it's really unsettling. And that created a lot of anxiety for me that I then, I couldn't turn to my parents because they were full on with the divorce and three other kids in the house. I couldn't turn to myself. I couldn't turn to my siblings. Like I didn't even understand what I was feeling. So I turned to food because it's always there. It's not fighting. It's not moving out. And it's super comforting in the moment. But the reason why I was turning to food was this anxiety. So guess what? You eat a bunch of food, like eat a whole sleeve of Oreos. That doesn't really do anything for anxiety. Like I've done that research, the clinical trials, it doesn't work. So as soon as you're done eating, you're still hungry because the whole reason you ate was totally unsatisfied. So I really quickly and and in a pretty severe way, put on a lot of weight and it got to the point where, you know, when people like, I wish I was at my high school weight, I weighed the same as I did when I entered fifth grade. And it's not that I was really tall or cut or whatever. Like I weigh in the one seventies and I remember like that summer at summer camp, we had to get weighed for something and I weighed the same as one of my counselors. We both weighed one seventy one, and he was like 24 and I was 10. And he went to town making fun of me for it. And so like that number will stick in my head is like the summer before fifth grade, I was 171. So it was probably like 174, 175 when I started school. Um, I was 174.8 this morning. Not that I'm counting.
0: But, <laughs> that's very specific. You know,
1: like, so I, I don't want to be in my high school weight because I'd be about 270. And that's not where I'm supposed to be. Um So I was really, really lucky that in high school, there's an amazing guy who runs the PE program at my high school. He's still there. And I know at every school, PE is like a total blow off, not there. So he really takes it as a way to introduce kids to wellness and figure out what you love about sports and, um, or activity in general. And he just, it was the first time physical activity was presented to me, not as "Hey, fat kid. Why are you so lazy? Why are you so slow? Why are you wheezing? What's wrong with you? Like, hey, what do you enjoy doing? How have you tried this? Like, what if we experimented with that? And little by little, I started to put together a program that It got to a place where I would get in trouble with the uh, the maintenance staff because I wouldn't leave the weight room or the cardio room. Like, like they were trying to close up for the day. I'm like, I just have five more minutes because I loved it. And I never thought I would be able to say something like that. So I lost 100 pounds with his help, which he'll take no credit for, but he had a big hand in it. But we never dealt, like. and this wasn't his responsibility, but he nor I dealt with the anxiety at all. And I I just wasn't ready to like, I didn't even really realize what it was about. Um, and so sure enough, like a lot of people who lose weight, I put weight back on. Um, I put on about half the weight. I wasn't obese. I always just say I looked American. <laughs> you know, like I just looked like everybody else, but I was miserable. And I was like, just constantly this, the, the tomorrow stuff was always like, what's about to hit me. And I, and I was, I was very much a fixer. Which made me awesome at my job. I was a management consultant, so like that was literally my job. It's like go in, see what's wrong, jump in and solve it, and then leave. And that's kind of who I was all the time, which is shockingly not enjoyable to be around. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise. Um, yet somehow I ended up getting married to someone way out of my league, but um, whatever. it is. She's, she's stuck now; she can't get out of it. How'd um, you guys meet? So we met when I was in business school, which is such a so, like, I was in a relationship before that ended, and of course, I went into anxiety mode. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to business school in the middle of the woods in New Hampshire, and there's not going to be any women there, and this class is only like 20% female, and so I'm never going to meet anyone. And then I'm going to come out on May 28 and I'll be behind the game on like when I'm trying to get married and start a family. I mean, wow. such, like, my parents are just sitting there, like, shut up. But can so you do you had
0: stop? a timetable, too.
1: Well, because I was like, you know, I figure by the time I'm 30, I'll like be married and have a kid, and. Roughly. I wasn't like, it doesn't have to be like right then, but, um, yeah, like it's just everything fell apart. You know, maybe part of it was because I had been fat and like my whole reason for losing weight as a kid was I didn't want the kids in my high school to look at me as the fat kid anymore. Mm -hmm. And that was really good motivation at the time. But then I went to college and no one knew me there at all. And so I wasn't the fat kid. So it was like, well, your motivation's kind of gone. And so a lot of what I talk about in do a day and what I realized in, in this moment that we're getting to is uh, finding your true motivation, your true, like you can call it purpose, your why, your motivation, whatever you want to say. That's what so many of us lack. And so when I see things like, you know, beach season's coming, get in shape or, you know, whatever, like your company's got a biggest loser challenge or like your wedding or maybe your ex's wedding that you want to kind of make them feel jealous about. Like we all have reasons why we lose weight and they're usually like something external, something time bound, um, something not really values based. They're usually either petty or material. And it's not just about weight loss. Like, and this is kind of the point of do a day is it applies across the board. So there's people who are like, I need to make more money. Okay. Well, why do you need to make more money? Cause I, uh, you know, bills or cause I want to get a new car or what, it's always something like material or, you know, it's like, well, what if you hate your job? What if your job is to be an assassin? Like that's a great way to make a ton of money or it's a terrible way, but you'll, you'll do well. Um, as long as you don't get killed, you'll do well. Is that really all it's about? Do you love the, uh, these analogies? I do. Like, I love wrong? the
0: assassin. Cause that just didn't come into my <laughs> mind at all. <laughs> And then you you I, thought
1: that's where we were heading.
0: I went to like, huh, how do you know? Do you know what an assassin makes? I mean, in the movies, they do seem to make a lot of money.
1: I, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm going off the Hollywood. <laughs> I was either going to go there or like selling cocaine. And I was like, you yeah, know, let me go on a slightly healthier route. You yeah. can be a vegan assassin. You can. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just uh, I have no idea what I was saying. But, yeah, motivation. Like it's, you got to find out what really, really matters to you. And I would love to say that I just did that introspection and came up with it on my own. And that's not what happened. Um, I was just getting worse. And it, it eventually it was forced upon me. Um, so there's a point in 2011 that summer where my wife has, uh, she's a chronic illness that we didn't know about. And it reared its head and um every day she got worse and i don't mean she got worse starting with like a headache day one she was in severe intense pain that you couldn't imagine how you get worse from that and yet she did and every day got worse and worse and she was wasting away she was losing two pounds a day got to a place where she was bedridden she's barely 100 pounds her doctors couldn't figure anything out and like we're in the boston area where there's great medical care but they were really um they're blaming her putting on I was like you're sure you're not just depressed oh, you seem really anxious. Maybe that's what it is. Like, well, yeah. How would you feel if this is going on? And everyone's telling you you're crazy and there's nothing wrong with you. And also not offering you help with the crazy that they're saying you're suffering from. Like, if that's really what you think, be like, do you want to talk to someone? I can give you some names, but they were more just dismissive. Um, so it got to this point on June 30th where her primary care doctor called and he was like, Hey, I'm going on vacation for six weeks. Um, why don't we just check in when I'm back? And I was like, she's not going to be here in six weeks. Like do the math. Like she's totally wasting away. There's barely any more to go. And he goes, just, he just goes, okay, we'll take her to the ER. And he hung up and I was like, wow, like there's really no one is, is helping whatsoever. And what am I supposed to do? And I walk into our bedroom and my son's standing there looking at his mother bedridden in pain. Cause he's watching this whole thing go down. He's, he's two years old. And he just turns and looks at me. And that, that was the moment. Like that was my like gun pointed in your face kind of moment where um, I just looked inside and it's like, what are you doing? And some people think, I mean, what are you doing here? And someone gave me credit for not splitting. And I'm like, that's, that's like a ridiculous statement. I I, like, I'm not even going to entertain that. Like, Oh, good for me that I stuck by my wife and my son. That's a stupid thing. I don't mean it like that. I mean, like, what am I doing in this situation to make it better or not? Who is the man that I am in all of this? Cause I, I was doing everything. Like logistically, my wife was good. The food that she couldn't keep down, I was making that, you know, the laundry was taken care of. I had worked something out with my boss. I was home from work during the day. It was a British company. So I just like used the time zones and his naps and kind of made things work for a little while. We tried to find some help. I was, you know, paying the medical bills. Like, the doing that was covered, but the, uh, the human side of it, I was such an utter failure on because I was so caught in my anxiety when she was having a moment, I couldn't be there with her cause I couldn't deal with it. So when she's like, Brian, I think I'm dying. I don't, and I'm like, you're not dying. You need to stop. Like, you know, you're, you're okay. You keep saying you're dying and you're never dying. That's not what it is. You just need to come. Like when someone's yelling at you and you're freaking out, it doesn't often help.
0: No, because you're not hearing them.
1: Yeah. And um, that's the last thing she needed. But in my mind, I'm like, if I validate what she's saying, it's just going to get worse. Cause then she'd be like, oh yeah, I am dying. Cause he told me I am. Yeah. So I'm like, I have to deny everything that she says. And I wasn't the same as her doctors, but essentially I was doing the same thing they were doing. And she was trying desperately to survive. And I was not participating in that at all. And I thought I was because of all the doing, and that's not good enough.
0: So I want to pause you for a second. Yeah, yeah. There are two things that I want to say. First, it sounds like in my language, the, the part that you were lacking at the time is the being. We are human beings. and We do yeah. so much, but it's that being side. Yeah. And then also, it sounds like your wife is going through, as you said, she's just fighting to survive. And it sounds like no one is seeing her.
1: That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. And it, and that's, that's a huge piece that I've come to realize, um, in my strive to jump in and fix things, usually that jumping in and fixing outside of a work situation makes it worse. Mm -hmm. So when a person is coming to you about their angst, their fear, their concern, if you just, well, you just need to do this. You need to do that. Or, okay, well, I'll just do it. That doesn't help. But if you pause and say like, wow, that must be really hard. I can't believe how much that hurts. Talk to me about it. What can I do to help you feel more secure? How can I care for you? Like just having that. And, and as much as like in my mind, I'm like, don't say it, don't say it. Cause then it's all true. And then she's just going to get worse. Once I realized it, and I'd love to say I realized it on my own, but I went and talked to someone and got some help for it. But once I realized that I tried it and it's like, she come down and I was like, Oh, so my drive to fix it was actually the reason why it wasn't fixed. And my, insistence on not doing x to so that it could get fixed that was the one thing i needed to do for it to get fixed like i had it totally backwards because she just needed she needed her husband not her doer like i would say like i was an employee of my life like my wife and son were the family and i was that guy who worked there Mm. like that's not what she needed you know she needed that too because things had to happen but like she knew the person by her side and i was not doing that for her
0: okay back up for a second Your drive to fix things is the reason that things weren't getting fixed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's my whole point on like the future anxiety. You make decisions based on that anxiety. Guess what? Nine times out of 10, wrong decision. Mm -hmm. Totally the wrong decision. And and that one time it wasn't the wrong decision. I guarantee you the way you went about it did not make it as good as it could have been. So either way, like 10 out of 10, you're losing. Yeah. Stop.
0: Yeah. So how do... Okay. Keep going with your story. Then yeah. I've got more questions.
1: All right. So, I mean, so she's one piece of it. Then there's my son and it, it was his eyes. And like, I love that person more than anything in the world. Like that is, he is the single most important thing in my life. And, and my wife will hear me say, like, she feels the same way about him. So there's no like, well, what about me? i are all good with it. He matters more than anything. And especially that young. And it's like, I was aware of what the divorce did to me if, if I had these issues, um, with my parents getting divorced, imagine the kind of, of issues you're going to have as a two-year-old watching your mother die in a really slow, drawn out, painful way. Um, if he's going to have any shot at happiness in life with one parent, it sure as hell not the parent who I was. Yeah. And that like, that was the thing that woke me up the most because I can't, you know, like, any relationship, there's ups and downs. Like if I was in a fight with my wife, like whatever, he's, he's my son. Like, I don't ever feel that like in the moment anger kind of thing. Like I love him always. So there's nothing for me to feel anything, but just like, I'm not, I'm not the father he needs me to be. I'm not the role model he needs. I'm not the support he needs. Like daddy, will you play? No, I can't play with you. I have to go do this. Maybe it wasn't quite that gruff, but I'm sure it felt that way. Yeah. Like either way, like daddy won't play with me. And mommy can't get out of bed. And then what do I do? Um, and that just, that made me so unbelievably sad inside to realize what I was doing. Um, that, that, was the, that was the thing that just like stopped. It stopped everything for me. It was like, well, you got to figure some things out. And the last piece of it, which I will say I wasn't fully aware of at the time, but I've come to be a lot more aware of, is my sense of myself and all this was, was shifting. So I viewed myself in this like anxious fixer mode as this is my life. This is the way it's supposed to be. And it's for the good of others and myself because I'm a fixer. I make things okay. Cause my, you know, childhood had a lot of instability, but now that I'm the fixer, it's all good. So that just means you're going to feel this way. And some people might think you're miserable, but they're wrong because you're making everything. Okay. So, um, and you don't really deserve to have it all nice and easy because this is the card you were dealt and you're good at it, so deal with it. Um, and you probably couldn't change the situation anyway. So my sense of self-love and self-respect was basically nil because like, I'm just relegated to this role in this life. And that was something that's like, wait, why? Like, Going back to that, I'm still standing despite all of these like, the world's over kind of moments. So maybe it's not the way I think it is maybe there is more possibility for a different situation.
0: How did you get to that point? So many people get to the, this is just the way things are. Yeah. And they stand so firmly in that. They find comfort in that misery. Yeah. How did you get yourself out enough to say maybe it's not?
1: Yeah. Um, For me personally, it, it was very much an instantaneous wake up. I felt this energy in me that I had never felt. And um, I went to bed that night got up the next morning, July 1st, 2011. I I won't forget anything about these situations. Um, And I still felt it. And I, so I'm in my basement right now talking to you. I came down to my basement where I work out in the morning and workouts, a bad name for it. I would stand on the elliptical, move around a bit, and then it would beep because it was over. I'm like, Oh, was that done? Like, you know, no resistance, no effort, you know, there's a magazine covering the screen, like totally mindless, pointless thing. But but I work out, you know, I could say that for whatever that's not worth. Um, when I got down to the basement the next morning, I was like, I'm still feeling this. This is really different. And uh, yeah, I was talking out loud and no one heard me, but whatever. Um, I do that. That's the nice thing about waking <laughs> up early, right? You can have conversations and people don't know until you tell them on podcasts. Um, so yeah, I just said like, this, this is different and you can either let this slip away or you can grab hold of it because it's totally a lifeline. And I recognize that. And I'm like, why does this feel different? So I decided like I'm going to take 10 minutes and just think about like, what is so different about this feeling? And that's when I reflected on the feelings around my wife and my son and recognizing like they both need better from me for their own survival and, and different definitions of the word survival, but survival nonetheless. And, um, and then that's when I started to feel like, well, I want better too. Like, I don't want to be this way. I at least recognize like, I don't want this for myself. I don't want this for them, but I also don't want it for me. And this constant anger and anxiety, it's really hard, but it is a choice. And that's something that always offended and bothered me. And people are like, well, you're choosing that response. Like, I didn't choose this. I didn't choose for my parents to have this happen. I didn't choose for my wife to get sick. No, but I am choosing the way that I get all riled up and Worked up about it, um, so for me it was very much thrust upon me, and I accepted the um, responsibility of of looking into those feelings. But for people I work with, a lot of them are like, "Well, I haven't had that kind of moment, so I'm screwed." You know, like I'll never get there. And what I say is like, "Well, first of all, not with that attitude, you won't." And then they laugh and they get a little a little annoyed. But it's true, like you have to open the doors a bit and be willing to do the introspection. And some of it may be scary, and some of it may um, maybe really difficult and you may not be ready for it all yet, but it's a journey and you at least have to be ready to start talking about it and open up to this possibility that like there's stuff going on inside of you that you just may not even realize or consciously realize when we unpack that and face that and find ways to either control it or work with it or take power from it because maybe it's not as negative as you thought it was. If you reframe it a bit, then you suddenly get to a place of freedom to start achieving, because it's no longer this like sludge deep down in you that's keeping you dark.
0: Yes, and it sounds like in your case, in your story, you were able to. Your wife wasn't being seen by anyone in her life, and you had this moment where you seem to realize that. And I'm wondering, um, did it feel like your son saw her? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you see, you can see these little eyes that actually can really truly see her. And so you are brought to what um, some people call like a bathroom floor moment. Like you've got. I your... was in the
1: bathroom at the time.
0: Okay, so it is. It's a yeah. bathroom floor moment. And it, it
1: wasn't inappropriate bathroomness. <laughs> it was just I happened to be standing in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's where brilliance comes in. Um, yeah. And you realize, well, and it sounds like you realized you might have to see yourself in order to see others.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly where I took it. So I recognized a number of things in my life that were not the way they should be. Um, some of them I had absolute, complete, direct control over. Some of them I didn't like, I can't in and of myself save my wife's life, Mm -hmm. which that was a tough realization because the fixer is not cool with that idea. Yeah. But I can do things that will assist her in the saving of her own life. And, um, I can't make my son have this normal, happy life, regardless of whether there's one parent or two, or, uh, you know, frankly, like a failure in a lot of ways, of one and a great one of the other. Um, but I can do things that make me a better contribution to it, but directly in my control, three things really stood out to me. And the reason I was in the bathroom is I was weighing myself, which I do pretty much every day. Um, I like it was a bit of fear before. Cause like I used to describe myself as I spent the first half of my life obese and the second half trying not to be like, that's a pretty crap way to live your life. Like yeah. not enjoyable. I'm not, I'm not a guy who's trying not to be obese anymore. I just, I'm a healthy person. And that's what I wanted to get to. So I was 222, 19.5% body weight. Like I told you, I remember everything about mm-hmm. these moments. And I, it was, so I was on the scale and I was, cause I, you know, just, I was keeping track of my weight. God knows why, just to watch it tick back up. I don't know what I was doing it for. I was like, that's the highest it's ever going to be again. And I, I knew I was supposed to be somewhere like 185 or something. That's what the doctors had told me historically, or like 180, 185. I'm like, I'm going to get to 185 by the end of the year. So July 1st to December 31st, like 40 pounds, that's a serious amount of weight, but it's not, it's not undoable. Um, you know, when I had a hundred pounds to lose, like the number of times I'd have this pep talk with myself. And then within an hour I was doing whatever I just talked to myself about not doing, it's just too daunting. Like that's the sum of every tomorrow staring you all at once. And you're never losing a hundred pounds all at once. I wasn't going to lose 40 pounds all at once, but I knew like there are specific things I'm going to do every day that are going to chip away at the 40 pounds and get me to the right weight. And then I'm not going to change from that. Like I am going to use those chip away moments to design a different way of living because enough is enough. I don't like, I worked out out of fear even though I wasn't doing a great job of it. Like it was completely a, like, Ooh, I don't want to get fat again. Or what did I eat yesterday? I better pay for that. Or like, you know, I worked out extra today so I can go and have some like ice cream or like whatever it was, it was this like give and take fear kind of based existence and it's, it's miserable. So I was like, that is going to stop. And when I worked out that morning, I did, uh, I'm pointing, not that anyone can see it, but there's an elliptical over there. Um, I, did, uh, I did an interval program and when the inter- and I didn't block the screen. And when the intervals hit, like I pumped hard. So I knew about all that stuff from the guy in high school. I just wasn't doing it. And I got off the elliptical and I was like completely drenched, totally exhausted, but I had the biggest smile on my face. I was like, that was awesome. Like I was so empowered by it. And, and again, I felt that lifeline, like I'm going to keep holding on to this feeling because if I let this slip away, I don't know what will happen. But there's something really motivating in these things that I'm thinking about in this way that I'm feeling. So that the first one was, was my weight. And that was really the biggest um, to me at the time. But probably the longest term benefit came from the second thing, which was the anxiety. It's like no more excuses. I'm going to go talk to someone. And I had every excuse in the book always about why I couldn't. But it's like, I look at how am I going to make 80 appointments work? I don't need to schedule 80 appointments. <laughs> I just need one.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and after that's done, we'll see what happens with the next one. If there's a next one, or maybe I need to see someone else or whatever. So I talked to my wife about it. And this is like the most dire time in her situation. And she's like, we'll find a way to make it work. Like your sister lives nearby. Maybe she can come and watch our son or like, you know, maybe you can get an hour off of work, like whatever it is one appointment we can find a way to make that work and she'd been pushing me to go for a while and i just wouldn't do it i think she's so happy that it was finally like i i had issues i had to talk to someone about this angst that i've got um so that was that was a really crucial thing and that's all me you know that's a hundred percent in my control and that was such a crucial piece of living my life differently uh the third thing was i, I had a great job that was not becoming a great job anymore. Uh, It was, it was getting very political. The founder had passed away and the the new leadership was great, but just really different. And I wasn't aligned with their values. And so it was early days, but I saw that heading in the wrong direction. So I'm like, I need to start networking. I need to start thinking about like, how do I set up my next opportunity? Cause I can't just quit, you know, especially with like the medical bills. And I was the only one working in the family. So I, I need to start taking some steps in my control to create you know, the, the next path so that I'm not also working in a miserable job and being a miserable guy in my life.
0: I, okay. So I'm wondering what like the, the main theme is behind these three, you've got, you've got weight, you've got anxiety. So you've got like physical and mental, and then you've got job, which is kind of environment. Yeah. It sounds so like it's all coming down to your values. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, if I feel like I'm just in this miserable existence of doing, these are, these are the three fully controllable sources of misery in my life. And there are things that I'm reacting to miserably. Like I'm, I'm feeling this way about them and I can control how I feel, but those things are also totally changeable. And so this was part of this notion that like, why do I need to just succumb to things I don't like? Like I can blaze my own path. I can if I don't like the way that I feel physically, like I had also had back surgery and um, I never did PT for it. So my surgeon didn't push. He's like, Oh, no one does PT. And it's like, well, yeah, if you don't get them on a PT program, they're not going to do it. So lots of back pain. So I'm like, I'm going to start doing, I have the exercise. So I'm just going to start doing them. Um, so it's like, if there are things that I'm unhappy about, why do I need to be resigned to that unhappiness? That so was the thing.
0: If I were to ask you before your awakening moment, Uh, To finish the sentence, it all comes down to. How would you finish that?
1: I'm not sure I know what you mean.
0: So, like, I guess one one word do you feel like was at the heart of everything you were doing?
1: Before, yeah, before the moment.
0: Before the moment.
1: I was going to say misery, but I think anxiety is the right word. Because that was, misery was an outcome of the anxiety. Everything was a symptom of this anxious existence.
0: All right. And now what would, how would you answer that?
1: I think, I feel like opportunity. Like I just, I'm, I'm looking around pretty regularly and not like to jump from one thing to the next, but just like, what else can I do? Yeah. What else can I have? Who else can I help? Who else can help me? Who can I know? You know, like I fly a ton in my day job and I tend to talk to the people next to me, which I never would have done. Not everyone, but like, I, I'm emailing with this guy who I spent three hours talking to last week, and he's just like, he's an awesome dude early in his career. And we just kind of hit it off. And like, why not? Just talk to someone, you know? And I never would have done that. I would just been like, oh, leave me alone. So it's like everything's an opportunity for growth.
0: Yeah. It feels like you, part of your awakening is stepping fully into yourself and your power and your body.
1: Yeah. And, and I didn't know about any of those things before. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know they existed
0: right because you were just desperately trying to fix everything
1: yeah yeah and none of the things that actually should have been fixed because if I fix (laughs) if I fix the stuff that I ended up fixing the other stuff is just totally irrelevant it just goes away or you don't notice it you know it's like when when someone's like get a little injury and then they have a much bigger one they stop noticing the little one Mm -hmm. it works works with good stuff too it does when something great is going on you don't notice the little great stuff little good
0: stuff. It's true. When you're, when you have fairly chronic pain, you have a few good days and then the pain comes back. You feel like you totally forget about those good days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So back to your story, either that or fast forward, how are your wife and your son today?
1: Uh, My wife is alive Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: more than just the clinical sense of things. Um, She's now certified as a functional medicine health coach, which is, it's like people saw me changing and they reached out to me for help. And that's how I got into coaching. Um, same thing for her, only they didn't just see her changing. People saw her not being dead, which is a much, much greater thing to see. So people are like, I'm in a really terrible place. What do I do? And she's learned so much in keeping herself alive, like a ton about diet and about how the body works. And so it got to a place where she's just like, there's something here. I need to learn more about it. And so she did a program, um, I'd say, I think it was more intense than my MBA was like, this wasn't a like, you know, mail in your, your picture and and get a diploma back. Like it was pretty legitimate, um, ton of homework and, and practicum. And, um, so she got, she got certified and she's coaching people and she's alive in a very strong sense of the word. And that is a beautiful thing.
0: And did she ever find the doctors, the practitioners that, she needed at that time?
1: Yeah. Um, so interestingly, we were never into Eastern medicine and it was an acupuncturist who stopped the downward spiral. Um, Cause at that point it's like nothing else has worked. My brother was like, you should go see this guy. He's, he's wild. Like he, um, my brother has gallbladder removed. Didn't tell the guy that. And when he went for migraines, the guy's like putting his fingers on uh, the pulse spot on his forearm. And he, he was like, he's Japanese is like when gallbladder removed, and I'm just like, how did you know that? So like I have some medical I went to him for my back pain and I have some medical stuff and I didn't tell him any of that. And he knew, like, I've got a liver condition. He knew right off the bat. He's like weakness in liver. I'm like, how did you know? Um so know. she yeah, so she went to him, you know, just kinda like what difference does it make at this point? And she's in there for an hour and a half and she walked out, which was a big deal, like walking totally on her own in tears. Like we were waiting. My son and I were like walking around the block, whatever, waiting for her, expecting her to call be like, can you come in and help me? She walked it. Like I saw her walk out of the building and just gushing with tears. She's like, something's different now. And that was the last day that she lost weight. Wow. Yeah. So it totally, so we're like completely like, that's all it took. Totally into acupuncture. Works wonders. It was a huge help during my marathon training. Um, so acupuncture yeah,
0: she, um, cured my asthma.
1: I completely believe that. And I'm sure there are other people like, whatever. You don't understand. Yeah. It's probably something else. Um, so yeah, she found a number of practitioners, some, some medical doctors, and then some in, uh, in other spaces like acupuncture, cranial sacral massage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so she has chronic Lyme disease. And um, she did try a, a course of really strong antibiotics. And this is when she's still really sick. And her organs started to shut down. Um, so she couldn't continue that path. So she tried an herbal path, and um, between that and really the big thing has been diet. So she's a really structured, controlled diet um, that everyone jokes about and doesn't understand how she does it. And she's like, "It's simple. I want to be alive." Yeah. But for some people, they make stupid comments like, "Oh, if I couldn't eat chocolate cake, I'd have, I'd rather die." I'm like, if you really were facing that decision and you actually made that call, there's something else that is horribly wrong in your life that we got to talk about
0: when we started out talking about your why yeah being alive is a pretty pretty powerful
1: and if it's not there's something that we got to talk about Yeah, if that's not a good enough reason for you and there are definitely people who are that miserable that like let's talk about it and they're probably they probably don't want to right there's a lot of unpacking to do and they're probably scared of it yeah i get it it's okay like be a human you know like a I'll be there for you. I understand. I've coached some people who've got some pretty major stuff that they've been through. And it's really scary to unpack some of that. And some of them don't want to live going into the process.
0: So is Lyme disease what had led to her?
1: That was the main thing. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's like ticks carry a lot. So it's never just Lyme, but right. uh, that, that was like the core central theme. Um, And for whatever reason, it's not accepted in Western medicine that you can have chronic Lyme disease. And so that's why the doctors are all like, "Nope, there's nothing wrong with you. It's like, she has all the symptoms, positive Lyme test. Nope, it's not possible. You didn't see the tick. There's no bullseye. It's like she grew up in Long Island in Vermont. It was like covered in ticks as a kid. It happens. And if you look back at her medical history, she'd always have these flare ups that are like classic Lyme symptoms, but they'd be gone after a couple of days. And someone's like, oh, you just caught a 24 hour bug. It's like, well, yeah, she did get a bug, but not the way you're thinking about it.
0: Yeah. Oh, that is such a fascinating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My husband got Lyme right before we, we moved in, we lived in Maine for 10 years and um, a month before we sold our house. He got Lyme bullseye, perfect conditions. Like, you know, visible bullseye, put on antibiotics the next day. Yeah. And after two courses of antibiotics, so like over a month of antibiotics, he's, he's good.
1: Yeah. If you, if you catch it right away and typically one course isn't good enough, so you got to get a doctor who's willing to go longer. Yeah. Um, if you don't totally cure it, you at least control it to the point that it it hopefully won't be an issue. Um, but if you don't catch it, then it becomes a insidious thing that it is really hard to deal with. and And we've come to know this whole community of people who are facing chronic Lyme, it's way more common than anyone wants to admit. And most of those people are getting shamed. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate.
0: So does your son have Lyme?
1: Not that we we know of, but he hasn't been tested. Um, So we haven't seen explicit signs of it. But yeah, I mean, I will say when he gets sick and it's taking a while for him to get better, or he's like, oh, my legs hurt. And my wife's like, why is that? You know, and I get it, like, that's the first place her mind goes to. Yeah. Um, but he's also, he's super tall, and he's had a ton of growth spurts. So usually it's like that, or he's like, oh, well, I fell off the slide today. It's like, oh, buddy, why didn't you tell <laughs> You know? We but, did
0: such a good metaphor <laughs> for, like, going back to anxious you. Yeah. <laughs> like, anxious you, I imagine, would totally spiral into, like, oh, my God, it's Lyme, and, or whatever horrible thing Here's, here's the
1: thing about me. I don't get anxious about other people.
0: Uh, oh, cool! I don't.
1: I don't. It's cool and it's bad at the same time. Like they, they think it's just me. Like, well, if it was you, you'd be all worried. Um, I do have this sense that everything's going to be okay, and it's a weird thing to be. And I've had that for a while. It's weird to be anxious and think everything's going to be okay. But I think it's because I have such faith in my power as the fixer. Mm. That um, I just what I'm anxious about is the process. Like I always say, like I just need a fast forward button. Like I'll get through it. I just don't want to.
0: Yeah. Well, cause um, that's the uncomfortable part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm fine with these things now. Um, cause I recognize like, I, I talk a lot about marathon training. as like, it, it's just, it's such a great analogy for so much of this, but you don't want to fast forward through it. Like the marathon training was the best part of the marathon. The race itself, you know, it's one day, anything can happen. I happen to be really sick. I didn't sleep for two days. It did not go the way that five months of training had led up to it going. I, I still, so like, I, I had a lot to process after the marathon. I felt a lot of loss and failure and whatever. And like, people would ask me how it went. And I had a very negative story for like a week or two. And my wife's like, you got to deal with that because no one's expecting that. And you're making it out to be this terrible thing. You still did it and you still finished, you know, like I should have been under four hours. I was under five but it's still faster than a lot of people are. And, and like, I was super obese
0: and you ran 26.2 miles.
1: Yeah. And, and I come to find out I had a torn meniscus, which I finally just had surgery for, but like I did it. And yeah, I had to walk a few miles and I, I stared at the medical tent at mile like 16 or 17 because I was like, I might be making a serious mistake by continuing. Like I, I was not in a good way, but I did. And I walked through it and I met someone on the course, um, who I learned later, like he's a preacher. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, so it's it's no wonder he was like super inspirational and and he was walking too. so we were both kind of in it together. but like I got through it and now I have a very positive view on it and I appreciate the experience. but the place I go to that I love the most was the training. And that to me is like it's such a great analogy for everything for do a day it's like the first run was two miles, like the very beginning of the training plan. and the last one's twenty six two. you know and I've got a, a twenty and two nineteens and a bunch of other really long. and it's like you run two miles if you look at the end of the plan, you're like, Oh my God, how am I going to do this? This is impossible. I'll never get there. And you know, you start freaking out. I have this much more to go. What about the long run that I have at the end of this week? It's eight or nine miles or whatever it was, which I'd done more than that in the past, but I hadn't for a while. And so it's like, I know how hard that's going to be. How am I going to get there? It's like, dude, you're not running that distance today and everything you do leading up to it will prepare you to run it mm-hmm. and for the next week. And then it's like it builds. But if you start thinking about all the runs you still have to go, you stop because they're not possible. Right. now. they're literally not possible right now. You know, unless you're like, you're always doing marathons, but generally for most people who do a marathon, you're not starting the training, the training plan as a currently trained marathoner.
0: Cause it's a progression just like progression. life is
1: exactly. And Everything yeah. builds.
0: And if we think of it all has to happen today. Oh man, that's overwhelming.
1: Yeah. And same thing with bad runs. Like one of my tempo runs went horribly, horribly wrong. And I ended up getting a little bit of a tear in my left calf. Um, and I, so like, I, I was a mile and a half from home and of course, like horrible Northeast thunderstorm in the middle of the summer kicks in. My wife starts like patrolling the neighborhood, trying to find me because I didn't have my phone with me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, you know, perfect storm, literally. So guess what? Um, I took a week off and the whole time I was like, Oh, everything's falling apart. What am I gonna do it, went to acupuncture a ton, lots of compression on it and all that. And I, I rehabbed it pretty quickly and I was able to get running again in like day eight. Um, and, and actually this was on the back of falling in a trail race that I never should have done during my training plan. And my coach warned me, but my friends signed up, they ended up bagging it, but I, for some reason still did it. I fell pretty hard in the race. I shouldn't have like, I should have taken a few days off, but I didn't. And so I was running weird that's why I injured myself in the tempo run. Um, so all of it was not do a day. You know, like I was taking all this anxiety and this pain, I made bad decisions and I got hurt. I got myself back out there, but I will tell you, I I did a day from then forward. But every time I went into that tempo run on, they were on my, on Tuesdays, I felt anxious when I kicked off. And oddly the speed tended to pick up in the same spot because I was running a similar route. And so, like, I come to that place where I got injured, and I'm supposed to start pushing pretty hard. Then I'm like, ah, uh, this doesn't feel good. And so, I wouldn't push myself the way I should have, and because it's all a mental game. So I, I did th- like I changed my route, like changed the c- scenery around it. Um, I did a lot of like journaling, and I tried to work through it. But I just recognized I was carrying a lot of that past pain, and then a lot of the fear of like, well, what happens if if I get injured again? And
0: oh yeah, that's that hits home so much for me. I had chronic calf issues, pain. And I, it turns out I had completely tore um, both calf muscles wow. when I was a freshman in high school. And I went to, I went to PT and I, went, I was in and out of PT for years for the same, yeah. same problem, same pain. And they'd usually just be like, they'd kick me out and be like, that's all we can do. And so as I gradually, eventually healed them, I still had this anxiety when I went out on every single run. Is yeah. it going to hurt today? When is it going to hurt? How badly is it going to hurt? That took a while to shake.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you feel none of that today or do you still have a little tinge of it?
0: If I get like a little tinge in my, my left calf is worse than my right. So if I get a little tinge in my left calf, there's a, like I feel it. And then I can separate myself from it and be like, it's, we're not there anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's not who you are anymore. Notice it. Be grateful. Listen to it. Like, if it needs a day off, give it a day off.
1: Right. What's in the grand scheme of things? What does it really matter? Yeah. I think that was the marathon training. Like, one of the key things is there's a rest day, and I had not had a rest day in six years or five years. Like, I worked out every day. Even like, okay, so I had I've had 15 surgeries and probably. 10 or 12 of them happened in this, this period between the marathon and my wake up moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so yes, those were rest days. Although I know before one of the surgeries, I did do like 15 minutes of cardio that morning. Cause so I'm like, well, if I can't work out for a few days, I better be sure I'm in, I'm, I'm in as good a spot as I could be. Um, but yeah, I think getting comfortable with literally doing nothing. I did my back PT cause I do that every day. Um, but literally like no cardio, no real pushing it that took a few weeks to get comfortable with. And then I, and I learned to appreciate it quite a bit, but um, yeah, it's interesting. Like the things that the anxiety that we carry forward, even on positive things the adjustments it takes to just sort of like put that stuff in perspective and control it better.
0: Yeah. And that rest day that we as endurance athletes is incorporated into our plans is also something that as, as growing humans, just living, having relationships, trying to be our best with work, we got to give ourselves that grace.
1: Yeah. Yeah, very true.
0: And that space to grow.
1: Yeah, it's recovery when you actually grow. Like your muscles don't improve while you're stressing them. It's when they get a chance to rest and heal. That's when you actually, like your capabilities expand.
0: Yeah. So same with as we're growing, as we're trying to change our habits, as we're trying to like, completely shed these old patterns sometimes like do a whole lot, a whole lot of growing and then like just chill. Yeah. The fuck out like jumping
1: bit. jumping from one relationship to the next. Like <laughs> and a lot of people do that. Like give yourself a minute and process and see what being alone is. A lot of people don't do alone well. Mm-hmm. Well, if you never give those muscles a chance to build, you're never going to. Maybe that's exactly what you need is not doing alone well. So you can Get through it and get some help and and strengthen, because otherwise you just go from one codependency to the next,
0: yeah, because if you're not doing alone well, you're not doing a relationship well either,
1: totally, yeah, but no one sees that,
0: yeah, because we don't see ourselves because that's really scary,
1: yeah, it's the other person's fault,
0: mm-hmm, it's not until we see ourselves that we can grow and that we can step into ourselves, yeah well, Brian. <laughs> I feel like we could talk forever, but we got stuff to do. So, yes. so let's wrap this up. How can people learn more about you and find your book?
1: So my book's everywhere. You can buy it wherever. And it's in every, like every format. Um, but it's, you can go to do a It's a book called do a day. Easy to remember. Um, and everything's linked up there and it'll take you out to like all the, the stores and formats and whatnot. Um, and you can find me on social there too. I, you can also get me at brian if you want to try to spell my name, um, but you Think can link you to everything how it Well except it's Brian with a Y like Brian Adams, sure. like it's me, <laughs> him and like three other people um, and and Falchuk everyone always misspells it. but if you go to Do a Day Book, you can get to me there so do Um I'm super active on Twitter. Uh, I was I wrote Frank Magazine for a while, and so that kind of got me hooked on it because you have to. Um, so you can you can find me. I'm all over the place, but I'm always happy to talk to people and help out any way I can.
0: Awesome. And we'll have all your stuff linked in the show notes. Thank you. So people can find you there. Thank you so much.
1: Is was there anything to talk?
0: Anything else you want to share with people before we sign off?
1: Um, I'm not trying to plug it, but it, I think it can help. If anything in Do A Day sounds interesting, the easiest way to take it in. I really don't care about selling the book. I just want to have the message touch people. I did a TED talk on it and that's out now. You get the whole thing. It's fast, but you get the whole thing in like 14 minutes and 50 seconds.
0: I will link that in the show notes. Yeah.
1: That's an easy way to just like to fully understand what it's all about and the lessons on motivation and goal setting and all of it.
0: Yeah. And I have a feeling we might have some people also interested in your wife's work. So how can they find her?
1: I'm trying to get her on a bunch of podcasts, but um, her website is intended holistic wellness.com and, she's incredible. Like she gives so much of herself. Um, yeah, she's, she's easily the most beautiful human being I've ever met.
0: Okay. Yeah. She sounds really incredible. Thank you. And we will include her stuff in the show notes as well.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Kelsey.
0: Thank you so much, Brian. It was good fun. Thank you so much for listening to the find your awesome podcast. I'd like to invite you to head over to kelseyabbott.com to grab a series of short meditations And please come join the Find Your Awesome group on Facebook. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please tell the world in whatever way feels good to you. And please leave a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for being part of this crazy adventure.